Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Danielle Walker is the beloved author of multiple New York Times bestselling cookbooks who you probably already know through her Against All Grain Instagram handle or website as she is an inspirational powerhouse who's helped millions of people take on autoimmune through her mouthwatering recipes and now with her must-read memoir titled Food Save Me, My Journey of Finding Health and Hope Through the Power of Food. Danielle, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So first of all, I loved, loved, loved your book, Food Saved Me. You are an incredible human being. You are so inspiring. And I am so happy that you really shared it all in this book. So congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks. Yes, it is all in there. (laughs) And so I think so many people know you from Instagram and you share a lot on Instagram and I think we, we know your story, but wow, I really know your story. And, and, and let's start there. I think beginning at age 22, you were diagnosed with an extreme case of ulcerative colitis. Am I pronouncing yeah. that right? Ulcerative, I, ulcerative colitis. I've said yeah. it so many years that I probably just kind of run it all together, but yeah, yeah. Ulcerous. <laughs> but I didn't realize it's an autoimmune disease, obviously, but I had yeah. no idea how serious because it, essentially you have an otherwise healthy colon, which right. is being attacked and ultimately is life threatening. And yeah. you thought you had colon cancer. So can you just start there with like at 22, you're healthy, you're vibrant, you're feeling great. And then this happens. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, I've gotten to share snippets of this story kind of everywhere, but not in depth like I got to do and food saved me. So yes, in a nutshell, I was diagnosed with this disease at 22. My husband, Ryan, and I had been married no more than like six or eight weeks when we ended up in the ER and I had started feeling just some kind of digestive discomfort, you know, before the wedding, but just assumed like we just graduated college. My husband started law school. We moved. I was planning a wedding. Like there was a lot that was happening in that time and our guts can get just off with that kind of stress. And then it just was not going away. And so we ended up in the ER, saw multiple uh, specialists, gastroenterologists. That's who we were, you know, referred to because it was all in the intestine. And I was ultimately diagnosed finally after getting a colonoscopy with ulcerative colitis. But yeah, at that time when I would type in, when you're 22 and even now, right? Like we type in symptoms into Google and that's kind of, we're like, that's at least our first step before knowing, you know, who to go to or if we should be concerned. And a lot of the things that I was experiencing and typing in, it just kept saying colon cancer. And I tend, and especially when I was younger, definitely tended to be the like, doomsday, kind of the worst of the worst, expect the worst, hope for the best. And so, yeah, one of those doctors, I went in thinking like, do you know, do I have it? I don't know. And I'm so curious, you mentioned Dr. Google. I think we all fall victim to this. On one hand, Google's so empowering and there's great information and it's empowering. But on the other hand, you can go down that rabbit hole so quick. And, and it's like you start, once you start, like you click through on colon cancer, you start seeing all these other results, maybe colon cancer and right. this and that. And then before right. you're like, oh my God, call the, emer- call the ER, like I'm done. Yeah. yeah. And so... What's so interesting too in your journey, obviously it was pretty serious. You're in a hospital, you're dealing with an incredible medical team and they put you on medication and medications 
made it worse. And we can come yeah. back to medications later because medication also save, it saves lives. Yeah, but like, right. how, how did you, the, the, this first time around, can you talk a little bit about what ultimately worked for you and how you kind of figured out food as medicine in your process? Yeah. Yeah. That was the other big reason why I wanted to write this book, because I think when you look at where I am now, it can seem like I figured that out, you know, really quickly. And then once I figured it out that I was also willing to commit to it right away, which was also not the case. But I asked every single doctor if food could help. And it honestly was just because they told me that this disease was in my colon. And because of the symptoms I was having, I just was like, something that I'm eating must be, it's all going through there <laughs> and straight out. And so there was just this inkling in me, in my head that was, is there anything I can do to eat more of something, to cut something out? And all the doctors said no. And so I just started doing my own research and honestly being online all the time, which can become a bad rabbit hole, but it can also, you can find inspiring stories and you can find real people that have what you have. And so I found, you know, at first I kind of found gluten-free and then I found something called the SCD diet, the specific carbohydrate diet and GAPS, which was very closely um, aligned and, and started reading people's stories that they found remission and that they had a similar experience that I did. That the medications kind of kept some of the symptoms of their disease at bay, but the amount of side effects that ended up being like piled on top were almost more debilitating than disease, which is where I was at. And so I just felt really desperate. And I was also faced with the possibility of having my colon removed, which everything I read online said that may not even cure it. Um, and could, you know, present a whole other host of problems or being on this lifelong infusion kind of medication that was had just this just run on list of side effects. So specifically medication that have a whole list of side effects, there's a moment in the book where you, you got fired by your doctor. Yeah, who, I did. <laughs> who insisted you take steroids and said without yes. them you would die. Can you can you talk a little bit about that that conversation? <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes, there is a scene in the book where my husband and I are at a hospital, but a different hospital than this specialist that I had been seeing for a while. He was over in, in the city. And I had just kind of had it with prednisone steroids. They at one point had me on a hundred milligrams, which is like sky high dosages. I mean, most people are on anywhere from like five to 15 for inflammation. And I just experienced every one of the worst symptoms that is listed on any of those packages for prednisone steroids. And honestly felt like I was going to die. Like my, my heart felt like it was just going to stop because of how fast even just my resting heart rate was on it. And then just this slew of other side effects. And so we just said to him, we can't do it again. There has to be something else. And he kind of just said, if you're not going to take what I ask or what I tell you to take, then I, there's nothing I can do for you and I can't treat you anymore. And that I remember just like hearing it kind of, my husband was the one on the phone with him. And I remember him specifically telling my husband, you're going to kill your wife. That was his, like his sentence, you know and I mean? Gosh, at that point we might've been like 25. And, and so we were naive, but we also had become attuned to my body at that point and started to learn that we needed to ask questions and start to be an advocate for me. And so, yeah, so he fired us that day and we moved on. <laughs> <laughs> well, something else that I think happened earlier in the timeline, because your story is just so, you know, I think what's so great about your story is it really is a journey. It's not like there was just one event and you did, no. you figured out your thing and then that was it. It was smooth sailing. Yeah. It's been a journey for you. And I think 
wellness is a journey. Life is a journey. Yeah. And your perspective is just so tremendous and inspirational for anyone going through anything. And one of the things that I realized that happened to you too, you're in Uganda of all places. Yes. Yes. And you think you might die. And being yes. in a country like Uganda, it is not being in a hospital in Northern California. Right. Definitely not. <laughs> so what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. So that was actually towards the very beginning. I had probably been diagnosed maybe six months before that. And quite honestly, had no idea what ulcerative colitis was still. I hadn't really yet experienced what they call a flare-up and what I now know as a, a true flare-up. And I actually talked with my doctor and asked if it would be okay if we went. And he kind of gave us the blessing and not knowing much about the disease, really didn't know that the stress of traveling 48 hours and then being in a you know different country and not having access to the medications and the foods and just everything, you know, I mean, that's just your body kind of just goes into shock in general, even if you're a healthy person, as you go to a different culture and you spend that much time on planes and not sleeping. And so, yeah, by the first night we were there, I just plummeted. My symptoms just got really bad. And I ended up in a hospital in Uganda with a doctor who was from the UK. And, and actually getting to remember that story, that's one that I kind of buried a little bit, brushed under the rug because it's very traumatic for me, but I wanted to be able to share it. And, and as I was writing it, I realized that doctor in Uganda was actually the very first person that ever talked to me about gut health and the microbiome and mentioned the words autoimmune disease. So my doctors here, they diagnosed me, they gave me this title of what my disease was and told me it wasn't curable, sent me out the door with prescriptions, but never got into the details of what it was, why it happened, anything. And so as I was writing the story in the book, I was so grateful that like he actually really did set in Uganda kind of a basis, a platform for me to start to be interested in learning more about it and understanding the disease more. So one of the things I, I love about your approach is one, you start with food as medicine and that's yeah. food has been, food has played a tremendous role in, in your healing journey, but at the same time, you're critical of Western medicine, but you also embrace Western medicine yeah, and you've absolutely. been very open about that. And I think in our world, there have been so many people where something happens and they don't get the answers or they're shunned by Western medicine and they find uh, a different approach, an Eastern approach. Uh, right. something that works for them. And for many people, it almost becomes like a stigma, like, oh, yeah. you know, Western yeah. is bad and it's a sign right. of weakness. And that's right. not the reality and they're no. not mutually exclusive. And you talk exactly. about that and, and you were very open when you, re you recently were struggling, how yeah. you struggle with that. And it's not a sign of failure. Like if, if right. you're, if food has saved you, sometimes <laughs> Western medicine needs to step in. So can you talk about Absolutely. kind of the, the stigma and like the, the hardcore circles of the well-being world and how you think <laughs> about that? Western yeah. is not Western does not mean weakness. Right. Yeah. It's something that I have to continue to remind myself of because there is this pressure. And I like like you, like I feel like I kind of was at the forefront of this major movement and group kind of grew up in this a little bit. And so I built my entire business on creating recipes that were healing for my body. And when I have had to rely on medicine, and I mean, I always say too, I had three C-sections, my babies were 10 pounds and I could not, I could not birth them naturally. And so I think there's been many times where Western medicine and surgery and procedures have, have saved my life. And 
I still though definitely deal with that guilt, kind of that feeling like I'm failing if I have to rely on it. And then, and really getting to, again, getting to write food saved me and kind of look at the process and look at how much food did save me and how much of the symptoms I was able to control. I've never said it's not a curable disease. So food doesn't, you know, it's not curing me, but it's, it's able to really help me kind of keep different symptoms at bay. And most recently I did, I went on a medication. I'm still on it. I talked about it in the book and it wasn't working. And it, and it also was having worse side effects than I was expecting. And when I went back and reverted back to everything I knew about food, not only did the medication start being more effective, but I also wasn't getting side effects afterwards. And so it was just this reminder of like those two things, like you said, they don't have to be mutually exclusive. They can really work hand in hand. I think that healthy food and using it as preventative, but also using it as healing and also as strengthening can really make a medication that's not working for you, maybe, maybe more effective, but I definitely deal with the imposter syndrome. I definitely deal with that. Just that stress of feeling like I get people coming to me all the time that say, I had MS and I haven't been on medications for 10 years, or I had rheumatoid arthritis and I changed my diet and I've been med free for a decade or, you know, 15 years. And a lot of the times I just am like, oh, like, why can't I do that? And, or, and then I've had those periods, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard to compare. It's hard to, to look, you know, and, and see how other people are doing when you have those setbacks. It is, you know, when you mentioned the C-sections, what immediately came to mind, Colleen, my wife, when she was pregnant everyone just assumed we were doing a home birth yeah. and, and Colleen had a pulmonary embolism years ago. So like she was yeah. high risk. So right. she was a, you know, she was scheduled to give birth yeah. <laughs> on a certain date. She didn't do, she didn't have to do a C-section, but like she was scheduled and like, it yeah, was, it was right. very Western and we had to, because yep. for her, it was life-threatening and that's the way yep, it was. Yep. And that's not weakness, you know? Right. Not at all. <laughs> it's keeping your child and your yourself alive. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's the that's the perspective. And especially over these last couple of years since I started that medication. So there's a lot that I was able to write into Food Saved Me that quite honestly, I wasn't planning on writing when I like laid out the original book. But because of that setback, there were a lot of things that I learned that there's a lot of things that are out of your control, like stress. And if you have a job that's heavy in travel, obviously things that come into our our lives like we lost our daughter and the emotional stress of that and I am try I'm still learning to but right at this moment what I'm trying to do is be really grateful for the western advancements in medication and the fact that medication can make me a healthy version of myself for my kids that there's it takes the the chance and the risk of me being back in the hospital for three weeks away. And, and just to be able to breathe a little while while I have young kids, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to appreciate that medication, still eat the way that I know is healing and helpful for my body. But take that right now because I have young kids and that's not, if, if relying on a medicine keeps me healthy for them, then so be it. So how do you, you know, there are so many people, again, struggling, whether it's with autoimmune or what we call an invisible illness, if you will. Yeah. And it's so difficult when you're in the center of that storm to see the light at the end of the tunnel where yeah. <laughs> where one people don't listen people think you're crazy two right. you try and it's just you struggle with sometimes you struggle with just give me a diagnosis i don't care how bad yeah. it is just i want to yeah. know i just want to know what it is what yes. it is and just so how i know your faith has played a role i know your husband's played a role I know Dr. Google's played a role, food. Just how, how have you, I, I always think the hardest part is just managing it all mentally, mm -hmm. spiritually, emotionally. Any advice for someone who's going through that right now? 
Yeah, I would say that it is multifaceted and it's not, it can't just be on you, first of all. And I think that is one thing that has been very clear over the last couple of years. I feel like for a decade, I thought that food was kind of the only thing. Maybe a couple supplements here and there, but I'm like, if I just eat this way, then everything's going to be fine. And then like I mentioned, I realized that that my mental health played a role. I realized that if I didn't get enough sleep, that if I... Put, like drove myself into the ground working too hard and didn't talk to people like my husband or started, you know, doing therapy and counseling, especially when you have PTSD from being hospitalized and or nearly dying and you've gone to things like that. There's a lot that we have to make sure that we're paying attention to. And so I think that would be my biggest advice is just to like breathe and take a look at all of the different things that are happening in your body and your life and figure out how you can try to manage all of those things. Having a support system is invaluable. I talk a lot about my husband, Ryan, throughout the book and his chapter that he wrote just as the loved one or the spouse who ends up unfortunately having to be a caretaker some of the time, just kind of what toll that takes and how important communication is. And so, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot because it is, it can be very dark and it's very difficult sometimes to, to see the bright spots. And how do you think about this challenge of, on one hand, you're saying to yourself, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to talk to every expert. I'm going to do all the research. I'm going to, I am tough. I am strong. I am going to, you can't, you, I'm going to get this. And then on the other hand, balancing it with faith. You talk a lot about, right. you know, how faith play a role where you're, you know, letting go letting God yeah. or whatever you believe in this idea of yeah, you know, I'm right. going to power through and work my ass to figure this thing out yeah. and, and you can't take me down versus like this idea of letting go and happens. I'm at peace with it. And I, to me, that is a challenge. I'm curious how you mm-hmm. think about that. Well, that's not my personality. <laughs> So I think I am am fortunate in that I feel like I had resolve kind of from the get-go. I was like, I can't live my life like this at 22. But I did. I grew up, and I talk a little, actually quite a bit in the book about kind of just the way that I grew up. And it was more of the letting, you know, letting go, letting God type of a thing. And that ask enough or you pray or whatnot that you'll find the healing or whatever you're asking for. And that was really hard for me as like a young 20-something because that kind of blind faith had never been tested before. I was pray, I pray that my cold got better. And most of the time colds do get better. Something like that, where it was just very kind of surface. And so while I really wanted to rely on my faith at the beginning of being diagnosed, I also found myself really like frustrated and confused and feeling like that faith and that all everything I believed in didn't feel real at that point. Because I'm like, why am I almost dying in Uganda? And then again, why am I losing my infant daughter? And just lots of things that really caused me to let my faith fully crumble, quite honestly, and rebuild it in a way that, you know, felt more real. And and then also to though rely on that during those really dark and deep times, because I feel like that's kind of all you have sometimes, no matter what you believe in. It's like, if you're that, you're that desperate and are in those really hard times, just thinking about the way that it could eventually be better or be used for something, you know, that's greater than you, I think gives you hope. And I'm going to come back. I love that. Someone wants, I I heard someone once say that God won't give you anything more than you can handle and you can handle more than you think you can. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I've been told that one a lot, but I'm going to, I'm going to come back. Look, I think for anyone going through anything, faith, no matter what that looks like for you, uh, 
has to play an important role. And I think it's this idea, even for those who are in AA, this idea of letting go of, of right. realizing there's something greater than yourself. I don't think you can get through anything just by, right, I think right. you can get through a lot, just powering through yes. by yourself and, and like right, an, right. Iron, an iron will and determination and hard work will get you very far. But I think you'd be naive to say that there's other factors at play. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And actually to that point, when I wrote Food Saved Me and was able to really look back at my whole the last like 12 years of my journey, I really was able to see the places that while I felt completely abandoned by the God that I believe in, there were things that I feel like he really did line up through that time to, to show me that there was still a reason to believe. And it's hard to see those when you're in it, right? It's, you know, like once you get through the trenches that you can look back and kind of see like, oh, there were some bright spots. And that doctor in Uganda is, I mean, I think one of the biggest ones for me, I felt like God placed a lot of things in my path to, to make me, you know, realize that there could be a, a better way to help myself heal. What's the other line or cliche, if you will? Faith is is believing when you're not seeing something yes, along those lines. Right. Yeah, you, all of those. Yeah, I forget. All of those. You've been hit with them, time, right? I have been hit with all of them. <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason for everything. Yeah. It's. I mean, there's just so many, and people are well-meaning, but when you're in those hard, deep times, it's pretty hard to hear those things and and yes. take them to heart. <laughs> So we're going to bring it back to diet. Something you mentioned yeah. earlier on is the specific carbohydrate diet, which really yeah. worked well for you. So could you talk a little bit more about what the specific carbohydrate diet is? Yeah. Yeah. It worked well for me in that it, it taught me about food. I mean, when I went into that, I had no idea what a grain was, what gluten was. I mean, I couldn't tell you the list of those things if, if my life depended on it. What didn't work well for me with the specific carbohydrate diet was that I had these blinders on and you're going to get to read through that kind of process and food saved me that it, it started to help, but that I was so rigidly following what the protocol was in the book that I didn't notice my particular body not responding well to a couple of the things, mainly dairy and legumes. But it did have a really great foundation and that it was kind of the second thing that taught me about gut health. I, I was able to kind of dumb it down a little bit in the book because I'm not a medical professional or scientist and that's the way that my brain kind of needs to understand some of those things. But it was really the first thing that kind of taught me about really trying to nurture your good back bacteria in your gut and trying to kind of starve off, if you will, the bad bacteria. And that's what that diet is all about. It's about like rebuilding gut health. It's about like healing the internal kind of lining of your gut and cutting the foods that can be inflammatory and then also that can feed the pathogens, the bad gut bacteria. So I feel like it's a really great foundation. Specifically GAPS, I think actually is even better now just because it's kind of was based off of SCD, the specific carbohydrate diet, but has been updated a little more um, recently and kind of constantly like slightly being altered. And they give a really great kind of layout of just the phases, like what to cut first and when to add things. And so, yeah, I am super appreciative that I found it when I did, because it really did teach me so much that I've kind of carried into my newer way of eating. So those who are new to autoimmune, what, what are those like major culprits that everyone, <laughs> I know it's hard to generalize, but like most people yeah. could probably benefit from eliminating or at least reducing in their diet. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's hard because I feel like everybody has something different that works. Some people say the carnivore diet works great for them, vegan for some. For me particularly, and, and I laid out um, in the back of this book, just some guides kind of like how to quickly get started. And there's some grocery lists. But so for me, it was cutting grains, 
legumes, all dairy, refined, you know, sugars, kind of processed foods. Um, I'm like, is that it? <laughs> um, when you cut grains, you consequently cut gluten as well. But I feel like gluten and dairy and, and are kind of those first two things that if like you are just not feeling well, those are two really great starting points. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, when they cut gluten, end up adding a bunch of other grains and fillers and additives. And so that's why I kind of say like, if you can just do a 30 day elimination with grains and dairy, that's, it's a step further, but I think that those two can be really helpful. So you mentioned cutting out gluten and you talk about labels and um, yeah. you know, to your point, I think so many people cut out gluten and then look, you go to any grocery store in America. Now it's beyond way beyond yeah. health, whole foods. It's way bigger than whole foods. There's gluten-free everything. But right. like, just because it says gluten-free on the package. So you, you talk about yes. this, what are like some of the watch outs for you? Just because it says gluten-free, if you're in a grocery yeah. store right now, like what, what are the watch outs on that gluten-free label? Yeah, that's why I ended up kind of trying to stay more paleo because it just felt easier. The gluten-free stuff and I, there's a story in the book about going gluten-free and like going to the store and buying all these things that I never even ate before, like frozen pizza and donuts and bread, just because it said gluten-free. And I feel like most people go through that kind of phase of like, they're like deer in headlights. And so they just grab. So I would say for me specifically, my body does not like anything corn or corn derived. And that's a massive ingredient and in a lot of gluten-free things. I also learned over the years that xanthan gum is not great for my body. It just causes like bloating and swelling and just pain in my abdomen, like almost immediately. And so those would, I'd say, be kind of the first two paleo and kind of the way that I was eating, especially on specific carbohydrate diet. And most of the other gluten-free ingredients were also not permitted. So that's like potato starch and tapioca. And there's a lot that's used in gluten-free because they have to try to mimic the, the texture of, of wheat and gluten. So yeah, those are some of the first ones I would say. And so something you talk about, which I think is so important to note, okay, take a step back. So someone's going through something and it's autoimmune and they go through this process. So there's an elimination diet. They start restricting, they start having results. And yeah. when that happens, it's very easy to go too far, uh, develop orthorexia as we mm. I think clinically call it in the wellness world and develop a relationship with food, which is not exactly loving. And you talk about that in the book. So how do we strike that balance where, look, I have to eat a certain way for me to feel good, for me to heal, yeah. and for me not to regress. So, but at the same time, how do we love food? How does mm. food be some, become something or still be something we enjoy with our family, with our loved ones and not be this thing that we dread? And I can't go out to dinner with my family without being really worried. And I, yeah, and I get right. that it's a delicate balance. How, how do you think about that? It is a delicate balance. And I was able to write about a few of those kind of those events in the book, like the opening, the opening story of being at my first Thanksgiving. And I think that's a feeling that people go through. I will say, I think the thing that I've come, you know, to realize is that the best thing for you to do is to try to focus on all the things you can have. In the beginning, it was that list of like, I can't have this, 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 and this. And I started to look at food as the enemy. And I realized within the, not right away, but within a few years, that was not going to be sustainable for me and that I needed to make this sustainable so that I could be well and, and feel well. And so I started to look at it as 
wow, I actually can have all of these things. I'm listing the things that, that I could enjoy. And when you looked at the list, it actually felt and looked long. And then as I started to get into the kitchen and teach myself how to create recipes, which you're also going to get to read about kind of just how that all came to be and my blog and my cookbooks, I realized that I had to make things that still felt nostalgic, that felt traditional to me, things that I enjoyed with my mom and my grandma. And, and I realized that it wasn't necessarily the food itself, the specific dish or the ingredients that were in it that, that I was grieving. It was the event around it, the community that surrounded it, the tradition of doing a cookie exchange with my grandma and my aunts. It was those things. And so I just started to realize that if I could just recreate those recipes with the foods that were actually healing and healthy for my body and still get to perform with those different traditions and those different events, then I wouldn't need to grieve those things and I could still enjoy the food. Yeah, it may have like a slightly different texture and taste than what I remembered, but I wasn't losing the people around me. I wasn't losing, you know, my memories, my traditions. So that's the way that I've kind of gone about it ever since. I used to get a lot of flack, actually, Jason, back in the day when like pale was first starting, Whole30 was starting. It was kind of this big community of people that were just kind of getting into all this. I mean, we're talking 2009. And I used to get a lot of flack from kind of the, the very strict people that like creating, you know, cakes and cupcakes and cookies with grain-free ingredients was just as bad as eating the regular ones. And I, I, I argued at that point, like, I need to be able to enjoy my life. I'm planning on having more kids. I want to be able to cook things and bake things with them and enjoy them and celebrate. And, and that's such a huge piece of our everyday life as humans. That's food is what gathers us together. And I wasn't willing to lose that. And I feel like now, 10 years later, there's so much more openness to that in our community, which I appreciate. <laughs> I fought my way through it. <laughs> well, I think for what it's worth, I think you played a huge role in, in helping people here, because back then, I remember 12 years ago, like there weren't a lot of like, if you wanted something that if you wanted great comfort food that was yeah. grain free, like there weren't a lot of options online. I think now right, in 2021, right. if you do quick Google, like you can pretty much find a recipe, whether it's from you or someone else, anything sure. you could possibly imagine, you're going to find a grain free or gluten free recipe that is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's definitely come a long way. That's why I started creating recipes because yeah, 12 years ago, there wasn't a whole lot. And what there wasn't, it wasn't amazing. It's the back to that like sustainable thing. I was like, I can't eat gritty cupcakes and just steam chicken and broccoli for the rest of my life. So it was, it's what propelled me to keep going. So we, we have come so far in, in 12 years. And if I think about autoimmune specifically, it's people like you, you talked about MS, I think of Terry Walls, I think of also yeah. like Amy Myers. There are just so many great people who have pioneered in autoimmune. And I'm Agreed, curious, yeah. in that journey, what do you think is the, is there anything we're kind of still missing? That's interesting. That's a good question. Um, I, yeah, I mean... I think honestly, and that's why I wrote this book, I think the, the biggest thing that we're still missing is real people sharing their stories. And I, that, that's a question I get a lot of. Why did you decide to write this book now? And I think there have been so many amazing people, Terry, Dr. Lipman, Dr. Hyman, you know, Amy Myers, that have, that have given so much to the community from the medical scientific side. But even seeing functional medicine taking such strides, integrative medicine since when I first started, that was not a term I don't feel like. I think those things are incredible. But for somebody who's 
actually suffering with an autoimmune disease or with chronic illness, a lot of times those books and those podcasts and those things can be really overwhelming. And so I think the biggest thing that we're still missing is people, real people sharing more of their journeys. I think, like you said, it's an invisible disease a lot of times for people who have autoimmune disease. You can look at somebody and think that they're perfectly fine, but they can be really suffering. And so I think just encouraging people to share their stories and share their journeys is is I think still the biggest thing that's missing just to like norm, not normalize. Cause we don't ever want to just like be okay with these diseases, but to normalize talking about it. One in 15 people have an autoimmune disease. I think, I, I think those are like the newest stats, but yeah, I feel like there's, there's so many advancements. I think, I don't feel like we're missing a lot at this point. I think we've got a lot out there. It's just about people piecing together, you know, those, the puzzle pieces to figure out what works well for, for them. Do you think the conversations with traditional medical doctors have evolved in a good way with understanding autoimmune? Not so much with traditional medical doctors. Now there's more functional medicine is real MDs. Those are real MDs. The problem is, okay, so then maybe that's one of the biggest things that's missing. First of all, it's still really difficult to find a functional MD in your area and you don't know where to look. And then a lot of times they're not covered by insurance. So that would be probably the other big thing that's missing. I was just trying to get that care out there for people because it was pivotal for my journey. It still is. And I, once I realized there were traditional MDs who did more of an integrative approach, I just felt, I felt like I was in such good hands because if I needed a medication, they could write it. But they also would be the first to tell me like, Hey, you should just, you should go to the hospital because we are, we're, we're stuck right now. We need to get you in a better place and then we'll, we'll re, you know, reassess type of a thing. So yeah, that might be the other big thing that's missing because our traditional medicine doctors, there's still a massive lacking of understanding of diet and even gut health. And I think that I haven't seen advance as much as I would like to see. Is there, I'm curious in terms of, so like I'm very big into quantified self as I have my aura, my whoop, my Fitbit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and I love it, but it also can be TMI for some people. And I understand that. I think there's like a challenge there. We're all going to have, uh, I'm curious in terms of quantified self with like the biome and gut health, like, is there anything interesting to you? We're like, oh, because everything I've heard is it's still very primitive as we like start to really, sure. everyone's like, yes, microbiome got it huge. Like, you know, what we, the food we, the food we eat affects it. Yeah. But is, is there anything there you're watching? I'm curious that you think is interesting with regards to like our guts and what we're learning about them. Yeah, it is. It feels like it's ever evolving and it's, it does make me happy to see so much more research being put into it. I actually just listened to a Mark Hyman podcast just this week, a lot about gut health and I find it fascinating. And I know from people with UC and Crohn's typically do have an imbalance of, of gut health. So I'm constantly trying to fix mine. <laughs> um, one other thing that I don't, and I actually mentioned this on Instagram, but fecal transplants, I think for UC I'm very curious to see. Um, There's a lot of trials going on, medical trials, which I'm very happy to see. I remember first hearing about it like 10 years ago and like to my husband was like, quick, put your stool in a capsule so I can take it. I didn't actually do it. But, But I remember reading it and being like, that makes sense. I would love to learn more. And so to see it actually going through some clinical trials right now, specifically for for autoimmune diseases that take place in the gut, I think is, is very interesting. And I think it could have the potential to affect a lot of other things too. I'm just curious about how sustainable that would be. Like if it's like a one-time transplant or if it's like you have to do it all the time. 
to maintain it. No, it, 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 I, I couldn't agree. You know, I think I, I kind of view like, look, probiotics, I think are still, they're good. They're hit or miss for people. And I view it as like, yeah. you know, 1.0 and everything right. I've heard from smart, a lot of the same smart people we talk to is fecal transplants yeah. are like 2.0 and the future. Right. They all, when everyone hears about them, you kind of cringe. You're like, ah, that's totally. not a thing, but like, <laughs> but it's a thing. Yes. Uh, it is. And that's it where is. we're headed. And they're doing it now like more of like a colonoscopy type of a setting, right? So, I mean, back when it was first like introduced, people literally were swallowing capsules, which I think they found was very unhealthy. But I'm not, I don't cringe at all because I'm like, hey, if that could reset my microbiome to a place where it was healthy and then I could use food and good probiotic strains to keep it that way, I would be in in a heartbeat. <laughs> so... You talk a lot about food. You also talk about stress. And I think in an age, everyone between the pandemic, between there's lots of things to be stressed about. Yeah. Uh, How how do you think about stress today and the role it plays um, in your overall health and well-being? Oh my gosh, it's huge. I knew from pretty early on that the, that my stress could cause a flare-up. I'm a very high, not high strung, but I'm, I'm a type A, I'm like a, I'm an achiever. I went hard with my career from the get-go. I try to be super mom all the time and super wife. And and I, I knew that physical stress could cause a flare-up. I remember even back in the day, I wouldn't do any high intensity workouts because I was afraid that they would cause stress later learned that actually if I'm you know able to get through those and it actually helps my you know overall mental stress that it could help and so I think stress is huge I've learned that emotional stress mental stress worrying about things all the time all of those things can cause our my my body specifically but I think our bodies to you know create kind of that inflammatory response. And so I've been really trying to focus on sleep. I learned as an autoimmune disease sufferer, especially if I'm having any sort of symptoms, the less sleep I got, the worse my day would be with my symptoms. Um, And so prioritizing sleeping, if I had to take a nap, like actually calendaring it so that it happened as a mom of three, making sure that I was taking precautions, which I unfortunately didn't in 2019 when I ended up in the hospital of if I'm traveling a lot, making sure I have downtime and I'm eating really well and and all those things. There's a lot and it and that in and itself can be stressful, which is which is hard. And that's kind of that balance. I mean, actually, even just what you said about the food, I realized while I looked at food as healing and I really appreciated it and I love creating recipes and writing my cookbooks, there was still always this stress at the forefront of my mind of what if I accidentally eat this or what if I accidentally get gluten or what if I I ate a piece of gluten-free pizza with my kids? What if it sends me into the hospital the next day? And that I realized a couple years ago, like that daily stress of worrying about the food that I was eating also probably wasn't great for my body. So it is, it's a really hard balance to strike. And and I don't think I do it perfectly and I probably won't ever, but at least to be aware of it and trying to process those things. We had Jason Carp, one of the founders of Hugh yeah. Kitchen, Hugh Chocolate, who on the yep. podcast a, a while ago, and he, he had a different type of autoimmune, very, he was going blind. Yeah, eyes, right? Yeah. Eyes going blind, like in his 20s, yeah. crazy, his hair's falling out. But at any rate, like food played a huge role, functional medicine played a huge role. Kamhita Lai, I'll never forget, he was saying, you know what? Also, you talk, talking about stress, 
when I go on vacation and I'm totally relaxed, I can, yeah. I eat whatever, I drink whatever, and there's no flare-ups. Like I'm fine. So like, it is interesting. Yeah. And we all think yeah. about it. Like I track my quantified, like my heart rate variability and all those things. Right, and right. I was going back the other day and looking at like some stressful periods and I'm like, oh my God, this looks really bad. Mm-hmm. And then I went, went back yeah. to when I was on vacation. Yeah, I had some like of just... the best scores and <laughs> I was having maybe a second margarita that night right, uh, right. and our kids were like screaming in the middle of the night. Sleep wasn't as good, but I was like, wow. Like, yeah. I, yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, people do ask me like why I think, and again, I'm not a doctor or a researcher in that way, but they, they do ask me like, why do you think there's such a rise of autoimmune diseases? And especially, I think the last stat I read was like 80% were women that were diagnosed of the 50 million Americans, I think in that, that have an autoimmune disease and 80. And I just used, yeah, that's what I read wow. recently. 80% wow. are females, but I do, I, I think, you know, one, I mean, I always come back to the fact that we don't have time to cook healthy meals is one of the biggest things, but I don't know about where you guys live, but in the Bay Area, I mean, every child plays three different sports and they go to school full time. And a lot of times there's two parent working households because it's such an expensive place to live. There's just, there's not a whole lot of time to de-stress and, or to cook or to have time for yourself. And I think we do notice that on vacation because you don't have laundry to do. You don't have errands to do. You don't have running to soccer and to baseball and to school projects. Like you really do just get to kind of just live probably the way our bodies were intended to live, maybe not on vacation all the time. But yeah, I I think it's very interesting. And I don't know how though we can get that because this is life. It's 2021. But I think trying to just take some time, even if it's 30 minutes in the morning for yourself for some mindfulness or journaling or prayer or whatever it is that you do to just kind of focus on focus internally, I think is, is, is very beneficial. So in closing, if you could go back in time and give 22 year old Danielle advice. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what, what would that be? Oh man. Oh, pro- well, probably that you are going to get through it. I think at that point, you know, 22 with a new diagnosis, being newlywed, um, it felt like my world was crashing on, crash, crashing down around me. So I think that your disease does not have to rule your life. And that's what the book is all about it. Like you said, it's not a perfect journey. It hasn't been, but there are lots of bright, amazing spots throughout it. So that would be my biggest advice is that like you are going to be okay. You will still be able to smile. You'll still be able to have the life that you want. It might look a little different, but yeah, that's that would be my advice. Amen. Danielle, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me.